The How to Study the Bible podcast is brought to you by BibleStudyTools.com and is part of the Life Audio Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit LifeAudio.com. Our main work is belief. So many, many times in Scripture, we are just experiencing the encouragement of knowing our Heavenly Father. We are taking what is invisible and making it visible for our lives. We're able to take that in and say, now I can set a direction for my day. I am encouraged by what I've learned. When I read that God's mercies are new every morning, I can leave and say, I can apply that to my life today. I need God's mercy. Welcome to How to Study the Bible. I am your host, your coach, whatever you need. I'm Nicole Eunice, and I am really, really excited for these episodes and what we've been learning together as we've taken this really basic framework that we can apply to any passage of Scripture and experience God for ourselves, not through our pastor or our Sunday morning. Those are all good things, but that we actually experience God's Word as alive and active in our own lives. God breathed, equipping us fully and thoroughly for all the good work that God has for us to do. So for the next few minutes, let's turn our minds on to experience God's Word. Let's tune our hearts to God's love so that we can go out into our lives as people of purpose and of peace. Today, we're talking about question four, what does it mean for me? So Let's just review, shall we? Let's review where we've been, because if you don't get anything else out of our time together, I certainly hope that you will be able to know what those four questions are that you can apply to any passage of Scripture. Side note, my husband has been going through this challenge on his own for the first time, and he was on day 26. It's a 30-day challenge in the book, Help Help My Bible is Alive. And I said to him, can you tell me the questions that you ask of a passage of scripture? And he looked at me with a blank face. So for that reason, let me review one more time. Now, to be fair, he actually did know what they were. It just took him a minute, but let's review. Question one, what does it say? Before we do anything with the Bible, we want to make sure, do I know what this is about? Am I able to repeat it? I love, especially when my kids were younger, I would ask myself, can I tell my child what I just read? It's so helpful to know. Am I able to restate? And as I do, and as I observe, I sort of turn on my mind and sharpen it around observations, I am inevitably going to have questions. Curiosity is a huge part of the alive method. Then I ask question two, what's the backstory? What's happening here? What's the context? Who's the audience? What should I know about the history so that I actually can understand what this passage was saying in the time that it was written? Then we move to question three, which we've been talking about over the last two episodes, and we could talk about for hours, months, and years, which is the real deep stuff of Bible interpretation. What does it mean? How do I understand the principles that are at play here? We ask the question, what is this telling me about God? What is this telling me about human nature? What is this teaching me about the interaction between humans and 
God. And after we have gotten there and we've mined this beautiful principle that is above kind of what we've read, we've gone out to this very broad place where we're able to find this timeless, relevant, not culturally bound concept, theory, whatever you want to call it, about uh, the principle at play, then we are going to get very specific with question four. What does it mean for me? The final step in the Alive Method is applying what we've learned to our own life. Friends, countrymen, if we do not do this step, everything else is wasted. It says in scripture that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If we do not allow what we have experienced and learned to actually move us from knowledge to action, then it is wasted. Believe me, there are people who are students of the word who are not followers of Jesus. It is not the same thing. When we do this work, it is all for this purpose. It is taking us to this place where I ask the question, how am I now different because of what God has revealed to me? Because this passage has told me X, whatever X is, this principle, what does this principle mean for my life? So for the next few minutes, I want to talk about three big buckets that we can look for in the passages of scripture as far as what and how we can apply them to our everyday life. This is when we take our Bible, we put legs on it, we run with it, and we make it work for our lives. Okay, so we've got three big buckets of application, what we can usually expect to find in Scripture, and the first one is a great one, and it's just a simple reality that Scripture gives us encouragement. Encouragement, the word itself means to put courage in, that when we spend time in Scripture, one of the things that we can just experience is the courage to believe. Jesus said, some people came to Jesus and asked, what do we need to do to do the work, the works to show you that we believe you? And he said, there's only one work. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Our main work is belief. So many, many times in scripture, we are just experiencing the encouragement of knowing our heavenly father. We are taking what is invisible and making it visible for our lives. We're able to take that in and say, now I can set a direction for my day. I am encouraged by what I've learned. When I read that God's mercies are new every morning, I can leave and say, I can apply that to my life today. I need God's mercy. So we receive encouragement. Scripture can give us priorities. So much of life, we feel like we are overwhelmed by the task ahead. And and oftentimes in the Christian life, we are overwhelmed by the potential of the task. We're asking ourselves, how do I hold my tongue today? And how do I love this person? And how do I care for the homeless? And how do I reach those who are in prison? And what does it mean to follow God justice? And how do I be a person who brings reconciliation to the world? And how do I understand the news and interpret the world? And we can be so overwhelmed by that. One of the incredible things about a daily habit in God's word is that we trust the spirit to bring to mind what we need for that day. Are all those other things true? Yes, but God can give you a priority for the day that you're in. 
I remember specifically when my kids were young, and I would often feel so directionless because every day was Groundhog Day. Every day felt the same. I'm like, is anything I'm doing mattering? Where is this all going? I you know, would often feel that way. And I remember once just sort of walking with the stroller with two little kids in it and being like, God, what matters in my life? And God brought to mind the scripture where Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I sense the Spirit, because what the Spirit does is He works with God's Word. When you have God's Word in your heart, you're able to experience it as alive. And in that moment, what I experienced was almost like a reminder from the Spirit that was like, hey, your priority is to give or receive love every single day. Like you can put that on your to-do list. And as a real go-getter, he was kind of in this, like I said, kind of a mundane season of life with young children. It was a priority. God gave me the encouragement to be like, oh, I can put on my to-do list, love somebody well, or be a person who receives love today, and that God calls that good. So that's an example of the way we can apply a big principle right down into our life. In that season of my life, as a mom of young children, I needed that specific application, specific to the circumstances I was in. Sometimes in the midst of Bible interpretation, we lose the fact that when we get to that big, broad principle, that should be broad and apply to everyone. But when we apply it to our lives, it's very, very specific that the Spirit can speak into the season that we are specifically in. And those words that He may have given for me in that moment may not be the exact application that he would give to, let's say, an eighth grader in his school. Maybe that in in that person's life, God speaks and says, so I want you to be kind to the kid you sit next to today. That's very different. That's okay. Same principle, different application. Application becomes very, very specific to the life that we are living right in that day. So the first thing we can experience a big bucket of how to make an application for our life is that we're experiencing encouragement or direction. Second one, not as easy to talk about, not as easy to turn to, although it can be very freeing once you get used to it. And that is that scripture is designed to challenge us to repentance. We are, when we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are in a progressive process called sanctification, another big Christian word that just means we're growing, and we're growing more and more into the image of Christ. We are moving towards Christ. And that means along the way, we are going to get out of step with the Holy Spirit. We're going to get out of step with our Heavenly Father. That's called sin, and we're going to experience it. Every time we go our own way, every time we don't trust, every time that we think like, I I have a better plan than God has, and I'm just going to go along without him. All of that kind of stuff is very normal to the human experience. So it would also be very normal to the human experience that oftentimes when we go to scripture, we will experience conviction. Now, I'm not talking about guilt, like I am now a bad person. I'm talking about conviction. I think of conviction as a holy finger pressing on your heart where you just sort of feel this weight like, ugh. I'm not being what this is talking about, or or this isn't really a priority for me, or I've been apathetic in this place, or man, I really have been a person who just has kind of let go of some of these things as if they don't apply to me. That's conviction. That's God actually leading you to repentance. I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about this idea. He was, he was actually leading the church to repentance, and he said, I know I might have caused you sorrow by my letter, but I don't regret it. I did regret it at the time 
time because I knew that it was going to hurt you, but only for a little while because now I'm happy because that letter that he, that he sent them, it made you sorry and your sorrow led to repentance. You became sorrowful as God intended. So you weren't harmed by that hurt, that initial hurt, because it led you to something better. Verse 10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret. Worldly, worldly sorrow brings death. So this idea of a godly sorrow, it's this way that we're touched by God's kindness and we experience this conviction, hard to put words around, but like this holy finger on our heart that says, mm, I wasn't who I want to be, or this this passage is calling me to something or someone that I haven't even made a priority to be. And we don't experience a guilt that says like, I'm a bad person. And I'm, you know, I start to like sort of whip myself with all that I am not. That's actually worldly sorrow that leads to death. Godly sorrow, it says it actually brings repentance and it leads to salvation. And we don't have regret. We actually think, oh my gosh, thank you, God, that you deem me so important to you that you have chosen to reveal to me a way that you are calling me to be more, that you are progressively working in my life to call me into a relationship where I am more and more like Christ. You're calling me to more righteousness. When I think about the Christian life, when you are experiencing this process of being called to a conviction, of confessing, and of moving forward in your salvation, you are becoming more and more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. So for instance, a new believer may not experience the same level of conviction as a believer who's been following Christ. Christ for 10 years. That's okay. That's God's work to do. He's the one who calls us into that action. When we go to God's word and we experience that conviction, don't shut it down. Open yourself up to receive it, but also don't whip yourself with it. Don't beat yourself with it. That's worldly sorrow. That leads to death. Let godly sorrow bring you to repentance. I love in the book of Romans, it says that God's kindness leads you to repentance. When you're experiencing conviction, there's a kindness to it. It's a desire. It's like God saying, I love you so much that I'm calling you to more. And anyone here who's ever raised a child knows that there's times where we call out a child to say, I love you so much that I'm calling you to something more. That is a huge bucket of application that we should not miss when it comes to how we apply scripture to our life, that we experience that, we confess, and we grow through that application. All right, the third one big bucket that happens as we come and apply God's word to our life is that we can experience a desire to worship. So what is worship really? Worship is expressing gratitude for all that God has done for us. It's a complete focus on God and a focus off of ourself. Whereas the first two application methods are focused on ourselves, essentially. We're hearing God tell us something about ourselves. So we're experiencing God give us encouragement for ourselves, or we're experiencing God bringing his conviction so that we might confess for ourselves to grow. A huge part of our experience of God in scripture is just leading us to worship. Our brains are are, are changed by the experience of gratitude and worship. There is science that supports what happens when our mind is turned to wonder and gratitude. And over and over and over again in scripture, you see that as people experience God, the expression that comes to them, the the reaction that they have, the response is worship. It is fully 
and perfectly wonderful if your response to studying God's word is just to worship him, to just be like, God is amazing. Like you just, you just think about it. You, you find yourself reflecting on something you read. Maybe you read a, a narrative about Jesus feeding the 5,000 or, or of, you know, not condemning the woman caught in adultery. And you just find yourself thinking about it. And you're like, this is incredible. Like what Jesus did is amazing. Like this God is so loving. Like God wants to reach all kinds of people. And you find yourself sort of in the, the back of your operating system as you go through your daily life, you're just reflecting on how how incredible God is. That is worship. And our bodies and our souls and our minds and our hearts are made for worship. You become more of who God intended you to be. Almost like the velveteen rabbit becomes real. I really believe that human beings become more real as they worship their heavenly father, as they come into alignment with the God who made them, their spiritual parent, as they reconnect to that loving and attached relationship, we experience communion with our God through that worship. That can look like an expression of worship that is a a song that you sing of praise or words that you write of gratitude, or just like I said, just that back of the mind wonder and just reflection on how amazing God is. So, As we wrap up for today, application, remember, application leads us to encouragement and direction. Application leads us to repentance and change. And application almost always leads us to worship. So let's hear these words from scripture as we close. This can be your expression of worship for the day. Join me. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain. He makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. We can take that and live our life on that truth. Amen, amen, and amen. I'll talk to you next episode. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of lifeaudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, We'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. God kept calling my heart like I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, 
wow, Jesus is really interesting and he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.